ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a bonus, bonus episode, episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. And I'm guessing that you've already read the title of this episode. And if you guessed that these bonus contents would be about the 2021 NBA trade deadline, you would be correct. The trade deadline went down this past Thursday. A bunch of shit went down, I believe, 16 trades in total that saw, I want to say, 48 players moved, both of which are records for the league. And I'm just heading over to Twitter to uh, fact check this real quick. I believe that's what I saw this morning from good old Woj. Yeah, he, ta- he tweeted this final tally on NBA tra- trade deadline day. 16 trades between 23 teams and including 46 roster players, the most ever in each category in past 35 years on deadline day. That's fucking crazy. And I think the craziest thing about Thursday's transactions is not necessarily the trades that went down, but the trades that didn't go down. And Specifically, I'm, I'm t- of course, talking about Mr. Kyle Lowry, the damn near, the, should I say it, heart and soul of the Toronto Raptors. There was so much talk about him potentially being moved on the trade deadline day, possibly before it, to a contender. Because, as you guys know, the Raptors are kind of fucking mid this year. They have a whole bunch of issues I mean, the record is bad. The fucking the team just has not been good overall. The offense is mid. Defense is mid. Pascal Siakam is getting ready to fight the head coach, it seems like. And, you know, one would think that the Raptors would want to move Kyle Lowry because, well, he's still talented. Like, he could still contribute to winning at, this, at the time of this recording. Lowry is is averaging 17 points and seven and a half assists while also adding in 5.6 rebounds. That's pretty good for someone who is as undersized as he is. Also shooting damn near 40% from three. Like Toronto could have moved on from Kyle Lowry and sent him to a contender and gotten quite the haul back. And they tried. They definitely tried. I know the Lakers were involved. The Miami Heat were involved. But Neither of those teams wanted to part with a couple of young players who realistically would not well, I don't actually let me let me go back a little bit. So the Lakers were unwilling to part with Taylor Horton Tucker, and the Miami Heat were unwilling to part with Tyler Hero. It makes sense that the Heat wanted to keep Hero. It does not make sense that the Lakers wanted to hold on to. Horton Tucker. I mean, of course, we don't know the specifics of the deal. So maybe the Lakers felt they were already giving away too much. And although LeBron is hurt right now and is probably going to be out for a month, a month and a half, um, like I the the team is still pretty good. Of course, without LeBron, without AD, they're not, you know, really showing you how good they could be. But as we saw when LeBron was healthy, when AD was healthy, the Lakers were kind of just running through everybody. I mean, they've got depth, they've got scoring, they've got defense, they've got rebounding, they've got it all. So I think that maybe Horton Tucker might have just been one player too many. 
if they had been able to keep, I'm guessing the Lakers or the Raptors were probably asking for like Dennis Schroeder or Montrez Harrell or somebody like that. And the Lakers just could not really justify it. So, I mean, of course, when you think about it in a vacuum and you actually like sit down and think about it, yeah, it makes sense. But the Heat, I don't know why. Well, I mean, obviously, I know why they didn't want to trade Kyle Lowry. Spoiler alert, they were able to acquire Victor Oladipo without trading away Tyler Hero, which is, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit because I just can't understand what the Houston Rockets are doing, man. It's just, it's something else. But the report said that the Raptors wanted Tyler Hero. Miami was like, kick rocks, we're not doing that. And a trade never materialized. Of course, Kyle Lowry never really wanted to be out of Toronto. At least, if that was the case, no one knew about it. The reports did not say anything about it. There was nobody saying that there was anything fishy going on behind the scenes. Uh, It just, you know, they were shopping him because I think they're trying to, you know, get a little younger and moving on from Lowry would help that. I mean, it would be a win-win for whoever decided to make that trade. But Woj tweeted out after, you know, the dust settled and the trade deadline was, or, and the trade deadline had passed, he said, quote, in the end, Masai Ujiri didn't find a package that compelled him to trade Kyle Lowry, and Lowry had always been fine with completing the season with the Raptors, which, you know, I'm not really surprised. I mean, Kyle Lowry, he's really in no rush to get out anymore. You know, he's won his title. I mean, he cemented his spot as one of the all-time greatest Raptors in just in the history of the franchise. He's going to be a free agent this summer. He's fresh off of a fucking humongous contract. I mean, he doesn't have to play for money anymore. And should he decide to go and sign somewhere for the minimum? I mean, he can do that. There's no reason for him to like force his way out of out of the organization. So I totally understand why they didn't trade him. It is just a little shocking because with all the chatter, but then again, it's always the guys who are talked about the most that never wind up being traded, it seems like. Um, Another guy sticking in this same vein is Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball is staying with the New Orleans Pelicans. I know the Knicks were, um, I think the Knicks were involved in him. There were a couple. There were the Knicks, I think the Clippers as well. A couple teams that would have just gotten a fucking dynamite point guard should they have decided to, you know, try to work something out, but it just didn't happen. And that was really where it ended. (laughs) Woj was just like, yeah. Zoe is he's staying with the Pelicans and you know I don't I don't understand why they would try to trade him like you have a good thing going with Lonzo Zion and BI and even Steven Adams as well it doesn't it's not gonna do you any good to try to move on from those guys because Lonzo is a very very talented point guard and a point guard who can contribute to winning at the very least is I think I talked about him on um, Wednesday is he the guy who's going to bring you a championship no he's never going to be the guy on a championship team but his impact is one that any contender would love to have and I don't see why the Pelicans would want to 
get rid of that so quickly. I mean, the trio that they're growing is shaping up to be one of the most dynamic in the league. They have an abundance of talent. And for them to move on from any one of those guys right now, I think would be silly. And with those two guys out of the way. Oh, there was also uh, some buyout news. Andre Drummond is getting bought out from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So he might end up in New York, potentially with the Knicks, potentially with the Nets. Um, He might also end up in Miami. Although I don't think any reports have linked the two. If I remember correctly, it was LaMarcus Aldridge who was linked to Miami, which would be a very solid acquisition because even though Miami brought in Victor Oladipo, I still feel that their depth is a little shaky. Beyond Kendrick Nunn, beyond Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, bam, it's going to be very... Tricky. Of course, now they have Victor Oladipo, it's a lot easier for them to stagger the minutes of those four guys, which is good. But signing Aldridge would give them another scoring option, which I think they need more than anything else because they have a bunch of playmakers on defense. But especially with the second unit, like they're going to need someone to play alongside Victor Oladipo because he's going to be the main guy when Jimmy Butler and Bam are off the court. And it's really just going to be him and Lamarcus Aldridge probably running pick and rolls and pick and pops with one another. Um, I don't really see any hiccups. I don't think, like, if I'm looking at this from the Nets perspective, as I tend to do with a lot of things, I don't really see why they would make a run at LaMarcus Aldridge. He doesn't fit any of their holes. Like, he would be a nice addition on paper, but, like, realistically, there's, there's no room for him. And really, the same goes with Andre Drummond. I mean, I think Drummond would be better to have than LaMarcus Aldridge just because, again, LaMarcus Aldridge, all of his benefits come offensively. The Nets don't need any more offense. They've got enough. They have enough scoring power. They've got enough shooting. They've got enough of a paint presence. They just need defense and rebounding. Andre Drummond plays defense and he rebounds. Maybe they'll make a run at him and sign him for a low money deal because he is getting I think all of his salary from the Cleveland Cavaliers don't quote me on that but I'm pretty sure that's what's going on but yeah at this point I don't really see Brooklyn making a run at either of them especially Aldridge and uh sticking with the Brooklyn Nets they were quite quiet on Thursday really this is not a surprise the only potential player that I think would have been on the move was Spencer Dinwiddie. And I know I talked about this in the last episode, but if Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't getting traded for a player similar to him, i.e. Norman Powell, who had already been traded. So I, really, once Powell was gone, I wasn't afraid of Spencer Dinwiddie getting moved. I know a lot of Nets Nation is upset that TLC wasn't like sent to the gulag or traded to the French national team for, you know, like a baguette or something. I know a lot of Nets fans are unhappy about that, but it's just the nature of the business. Uh, I, I, I guess he's just a good body to have at this point. I mean, that's really, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie is still on the team, and I'm excited for him to come back whenever that is. But 
we cannot talk about the trade deadline without talking about the Orlando Magic, who had the most busy, the he had, who had the busiest, most busiest, who had the busiest day on Thursday. They pretty much traded all three of their best players. Well, not pretty much. They traded all three of their best players. I'm just going to head over to their team's stat page. I mean, where are they? Oh, they're at the very bottom of the East, of course. So the 15 and 29 Magic, arguably the worst team in the Eastern Conference, almost statistically the worst team in the Eastern Conference, traded their two top scorers and three of their top scorers overall. Kola Vucevic is gone. Evan Fournier is gone. And Aaron Gordon is also gone. Vucevic was sent to the Chicago Bulls for two first-round picks, Otto Porter and Wendell Carter Jr. Evan Fournier was sent to the Boston Celtics for two second-round picks, and Gordon and Gary Clark were sent to the Denver Nuggets for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a first-round pick. So, in total, the Magic got three, potentially four, decent players. Otto Porter, very good. Someone who could maybe wind up on the buyout market at some point, as is Gary Harris. I think that Otto Porter and Gary Harris were kind of just, I don't want to say they were thrown in, but they were used to sweeten the deal because I don't think either of these guys are going to stand to be members of this team, especially come playoff time. I know Otto Porter can contribute to a playoff team and Gary Harris also might be able to contribute to a playoff team as well. But I don't really see those guys staying on the team that long. I think Orlando was more interested in Wendell Carter and RJ Hampton. And of course, the three first round picks that they received. The second round picks were a nice consolation prize as well. Although, I'm kind of surprised they weren't able to finagle a first for Evan Fournier. Because they got a first rounder for Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon has been the worst of the two between him and Fournier. Just a little little interesting. But I think what I like most about all of these deals is, strangely enough, I think the Boston Celtics made out very well. They got a guy who can give them about 20 points a night or so. Shoots 45% from the field overall, shoots 40% from three. And with how that team has played thus far, without a doubt, the Boston Celtics have been the most disappointing team in the league. I don't want to hear it from anybody else. There has been no team that has underachieved more intensely than they have. Maybe the Warriors are in there. The Raptors, actually the Raptors are definitely in there, but the Boston Celtics, when you look at, this is a team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kimball Walker as their three main guys. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are putting up incredible numbers. And then you throw Marcus Smart in there. And then you realize that the team is about as deep as an infant's bottle. They have no depth 
And that has been the ultimate downfall of this team. Adding Evan Fournier gives them a tremendous boost on offense. Defensively, they still need work. I mean, their metrics are actually pretty bad for a Brad Stevens team. And knowing the kind of defenses the Celtics have trotted out in the past, very, very surprising, very just unusual, very unusual behavior from this team. But so it goes sometimes. But to get a 20-point-per-game scorer for only two second-round picks, that's quite impressive. Although, the Celtics did trade Daniel Tice. I forgot who that was for. I didn't make note of it because it wasn't too notable of a trade for me, I believe. Like, it was just kind of... Yeah, I don't even... I would look it up, but I really just... I really just don't want to. I apologize for being lazy, but that's just how I'm feeling today. I mean, it's Friday. It's Sunday. The fucking stupid birds are chirping. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, can you blame me? Yeah, you can, actually. Anyway, of the three trades, I like that one the most. Um, It's been reported in classic Danny Ainge fashion that they made a run at Nikola Fusevich. And they were just unable to land him. And I'm guessing it's because Danny Ainge was being stingy with his assets, as he tends to be. They've pretty much swung and missed on every star they've ever been linked to. And seeing what Chicago had to give up to land Nikola Vucevic, who is totally worth all of that, by the way. It makes sense as to why... The Celtics didn't get him. I felt they should have. I said on Wednesday, Tuesday, whenever the fuck, that if it came down to Vucevic and Aaron Gordon, I didn't even know that Fournier was on the block, to be honest. Came down to Vucevic and Gordon, prioritize Nikola Vucevic, and if you can't, then go after Aaron Gordon, because although Aaron Gordon is the third best player of these three, he's still pretty good. I think he's going to fit in quite well in Denver. He's a shooter, someone who can be an impactful defender if he puts some effort into it. But I think all things considered, the Boston Celtics made out the best. And the reason I'm saying that is because they got someone who's actually going to help them. I don't know what the Chicago Bulls plan on doing with Nikola Vucevic. They're like 19 and 23. 10th in the Eastern Conference. They have really no business trying to contend for a playoff spot because they're going to run up against either the Nets or the Sixers if, they, if they're to even qualify. I mean, they're only like two games back of the Celtics, so it is possible they sneak in there, but it's just not in their, it's just not in their best interest to trade for Nikola Vucevic. I mean, on paper, yes, Vuce is a fantastic player a walking double-double who deserved to get out of Orlando. But you took him off of a bad team and put him on a team that is only slightly better. When in reality, he deserves to be the he deserves to be a member of an organization who is can at least contending for a conference finals appearance, not contending for the eighth spot. Like I think it's just a, yet another waste of Vucevic's talent. And when you look at the Chicago Bulls roster, 
all, almost all of their rotation guys are 25 or younger. Zach Levine, holy shit, the wind is fucking roaring today. Zach Levine at 25 years old. He's averaging 35 minutes a game. Kobe White at 20 years old. He's averaging 32 minutes a game. Lowry Markinen, 23 years old, averaging 30 minutes a game. Patrick Williams, the rookie from Florida State, at 19 years old, averaging 28 minutes per game. Wendell Carter, before he got traded, averaging 25 minutes per game at 21 years old. And all the, like, he was playing pretty well. So, you know, I'm actually looking this straight over. And why is, why are the Bulls making this trade? Why are the Bulls making this trade? Why are you busting up your young core that has four very talented players in it? Five, actually, if I'm including Patrick Williams, who I didn't even fucking know about before the draft. Why are you breaking that up for a center who is probably going to leave as soon as his contract is up? I don't know when that is. I'm checking that right now. But he is 31 years old, 30 years old. Pardon me. Like, I just, I don't understand this trade. It doesn't make sense. So they get two more years of Nikola Vucevic, right? Chicago does. There is a literal 0% chance of them winning a championship within those two years. And they are giving away Wendell Carter Jr., who has played very well, although he hasn't been healthy for the entire season, and two firsts for two and a half years of Nikola Vucevic. The only thing I can think of is that the Chicago Bulls are trying to play like fucking 4D chess and the front office has transcended the normal plane of existence and they're seeing everything unfold on a molecular level and they're going to try to flip Nikola Vucevic for a similar haul to what the Magic got. But I don't think that is what's going on. And I also don't think that that's going to pan out that great for them. Because even if Nikola Vucevic continues to play well, at the end of his contract, he's going to be 32 years old, 33 years old. I don't think any team is going to be willing to give what you gave Orlando the first time around. So this trade... I went from liking it, you know, that was my knee-jerk reaction. It's like, oh, you know, Nikola Vucevic is out of Orlando. The Bulls are a decent team. But then, like, you sit down and you analyze the situation and it just, like, you're unable to comprehend. You are mentally unable to comprehend what the fuck was going on. So I like this trade the least, actually. Nikola Vucevic deserves better, and I hope that he lands on a team that, um, you know, doesn't fucking suck at some point because this guy has literally been on the shittiest teams for almost his entire career. 
Like that really doesn't make any sense to me. And continuing with this, this trend of just, I don't want to call it incompetence, but that's kind of what it is. We have the Houston Rockets. Now, if you guys remember, Houston traded away James Harden a couple months ago. They traded away the future league MVP. I'm going to pull up. I'm going to pull up the trade because I think there. I know there were multiple teams involved. I can't remember if it was 33 or 33. I can't remember if it was three or four. I'm just scroll down to his basketball reference page. It was a four-team trade. Four. The Nets, of course, got James Harden. They gave up a lot. The Houston Rockets did not get Karis LeVert, nor did they get Jared Allen, which it would have made sense for them to try to, you know, bring in one of these stars or these young stars just because it would help with their rebuild. Instead, they went out and got Victor Oladipo. On top of that, they got a whole bunch of picks, and I'll address that after, after all of this. So, the Rockets brought in Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo is a very talented player. But every year, he's brought up as one of those guys who is likely to be traded. And with good reason. When you have somebody who puts up numbers like he does, who can score like he does, who can play defense like he does, Victor Oladipo does a little bit of everything. He's not exceptional at one thing, but he does a whole bunch of things very well. Someone who just contributes to winning basketball. You know, this guy was a two-time All-Star, deservedly so. Lands in, lands in Houston. Plays 20 games pretty well. 21 points, 5 assists, about 5 rebounds. Shooting numbers, kind of stinky. 40.7% overall, 32% from 3. Whatever. He was probably the best thing that the Rockets got for James Harden. And they traded him after 20 games for Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek. Somebody make it make sense. I'll I'll give you I'll give you a little bit. Make it make sense. What the fuck is going on with the Houston Rockets? I talked about them on Wednesday. Just not even the f- incompetence of the front office, but just because of the bad play, of just because of how poorly the team was playing. I didn't realize it, but that is still more, that is still easier to digest and understand than how this team traded James Harden for a bunch of picks. I understand the importance of draft picks in the NBA, right? You need them. But 
What you also need is young players who have already proven themselves in the NBA. Even if the Rockets only got, let's say, four picks, like four picks, swaps, whatever the fuck you want to say, let's say they got four of them for James Harden, and they were able to land both, let's say they were able to land two of the three most sought-after guys, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and Victor Oladipo, that would have been the best-case scenario for the Houston Rockets. You get a bunch of young guys. You get, And especially talking about Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. Although Karis had that little kidney issue, when he's healthy, he is he's a gamer, dude. He gets up. He gets after it. He puts up numbers. Same deal with Jared Allen. I watched them for as long as they were in Brooklyn. And these guys just got better and better with every game. Jared Allen in particular, the improvements that that kid made over his, I think it was like two, like three seasons, three, four seasons with the Nets, incredible. But they did not do that. They instead got Victor Oladipo. And again, they traded him for Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek. Bro, what the fuck are Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek going to do for you? Nothing. And no, it's no disrespect to those guys. It's just... It's a move that doesn't make sense because you're trading a guy who you could have held on to for two guys who aren't even... Like, you can't fit them into whatever you're trying to do. Like, if you're trying to rebuild, Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek are not the guys. Like, if I'm the Houston Rockets... I'm trying to get either Tyler Hero or Kendrick Nunn for Victor Oladipo. And if Miami doesn't want to do it, that's fine. They don't get Victor Oladipo. But somehow, somehow, Pat Riley finessed Victor Oladipo. Even though, even though Houston had all the leverage. Houston had all the leverage. Right? Miami is playing a lot better of late but they are trying to contend to contend for a title. And in the current landscape of the East, that team is probably not making the finals because you have the Nets team to worry about when they're healthy. You have the Sixers to worry about when they're fully healthy. We thought that they were going to have the Celtics to worry about, but that's not the case. You also have Milwaukee to worry about. You know, Milwaukee has been playing incredible basketball of late and Giannis in particular and they're just kind of doing it very quietly. I don't know how they're I don't know how they've managed to, you know, stay this under the radar. But the point being is that the top of the East is stacked. And Miami is not up there. Like if you look at the Eastern Conference standings, you got Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, all of whom have more than 29 wins or 29 or more wins. And then next is Charlotte, New York, Atlanta and Miami, who have 22, 23, 22, and 22 wins, respectively. And then rounding it out is the Boston Celtics. The top, the top half of the Eastern Conference, or the top third of the Eastern Conference, is just so dense with talent. They've got talent, they've got chemistry, and they've all got great coaching. Yes, including Steve Nash. Steve Nash has been very impressive of late. 
even though Houston has access to all of this information, it's not like I it's not like it's hidden behind a vault somewhere where you have to, you know, hold Adam Silver at gunpoint and make him put in the code to get the records of the teams. Like looking at this, you can tell that Houston has the leverage in this situation over Miami because Miami needs Victor Oladipo more than Houston does. Right? If Houston doesn't trade Oladipo at the deadline, what changes? Nothing. Houston goes, Houston stays bad. Oladipo puts up numbers and then he leaves whenever his contract's up. So I just, I don't understand how Houston managed to fuck that up so just incredibly. It really is a colossal, a colossal, just like, oh God, I can't even talk about it. I'm, I can feel myself just becoming dumber and dumber as I talk about this. Um, another trade that didn't really make some sense was Lou Williams being sent to the Atlanta Hawks or Rajon Rondo. Yeah, that, that happened. Um, I saw some people trying to justify this trade. Um, and it's very tricky because the Clippers, obviously, are as good as they are because of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I don't think anybody is, you know, debating that. And to their credit, they made some moves in the offseason to acquire some guys who have really panned out for them. Like Serge Ibaka, um, Nick Batum has been decent, actually, surprisingly, surprisingly enough. Of course, Zubox. Zubats is playing well. Luke Kennard is shooting the fucking lights out in his limited minutes. Clippers have a very well-rounded, very cohesive unit. And they went ahead and traded for Rajon Rondo. Now, upon first glance, you might see, oh, Lou Williams averaging only 12 points. That's a little odd this season. Of course, you have to extrapolate that. And per 100 possessions, he's averaging 27. which I'm pretty sure is close to his career average. So a lot of it is just, it's a, yeah, it's only a couple points under his career per 100 possessions average. So the only thing I can think about is the Clippers must be dying for an actual point guard. Because Really, the only point guard they have on their team is Reggie Jackson. They do have Patrick Beverly. However, he's a very fascinating basketball player because a lot of his production comes on defense, which, of course, is why the Clippers are arguably the best defense in the, in the NBA, regardless of whether or not you like Patrick Beverly. He's not a scorer. He's really not a playmaker. He's a 3 and D guy. The unfortunate part is that he has to handle the ball for the Clippers because he's, he's too short. Like, that's what happens. When you think of 3 and D guys, you think of wings. People who are in the 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", height range. Patrick Beverly is not that. However, they can get an actual point guard in Rajon Rondo, which is what they went out and what they did. Um... I guess trading away Lou Williams is fine. However, 
I think the offense is going to suffer a lot. A lot, a lot. Because even though Lou Williams is only averaging 12 points a game, he's only playing 21 minutes. And he's shooting 38% from three. And he's someone who can be on the court in the last five minutes, five, six, four, five, six minutes of a tight ball game. And you know that you're going to get a bucket from him. Now, the retort to this is, well, if Lou Williams is on the court late in the game, teams are just going to, you know, go at him when he's playing defense. And yes, that makes sense. However, think about who the other four guys would be in that situation. Kawhi, elite defender. Paul George, elite defender. Patrick Beverly, elite defender. Potentially Serge Ibaka, elite defender. Or Marcus Morris. Depending on what I need, I'm probably going Ibaka over uh, Morris because you don't need the offense at that point. And still, Ibaka can get you some easy, some easy points in the paint, and he's a decent shooter as well from the perimeter. So even if your target, even if a team is targeting Lou Williams, that doesn't mean it's gonna work. In fact, it's probably not gonna work because you've got four other guys helping him. Three of which, or two of which, have won defensive players of the year in the past. I think Kawhi won. He's won two. Then you have Serge Ibaka. And, you know, Paul George has been in talks to be a defensive player in the year, defensive player of the year in the past. I don't know how realistic it was that he'd actually win, but you can't overstate his impact defensively. Rondo is a disruptive defender. I wouldn't necessarily call him a lockdown defender. He's one of those guys who kind of just uses his craftiness and his quick hands to, you know, get deflections, poke the ball away from the ball handler. But I don't think he's someone who can go one-on-one with an electric guard late in the game. So now you have that liability, but then you're also losing the offense of Lou Williams to Rajon Rondo, who has never been that type of scorer in the past. We all know he's a fantastic passer, but how far is that going to take the Clippers? So now you're going to have to lean more on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and you're really going to have to pick and choose because now if you were to just swap Rondo in to Lou Williams' spot late in the game, right? You got Kawhi PG, um, what the fuck is his name? Serge Ibaka, Patrick Beverly, and... Rajon Rondo, you might have to consider swapping in Marcus Morris to get more of a spacing effect, although you might not need it because you got enough shooters out there already, but someone is going to have to play in the paint, so I don't really know how they would facilitate that. This move is just very, that it was very questionable. It was very, very questionable. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it plays out, and I mean... All I know is if people want to say that that the Clippers haven't won anything with Lou Williams in the past, Lou Williams was not the reason they lost in the postseason last year. Like, that was a fucking total team effort. Like, you can't blame the Clippers' lack of postseason success on Lou Williams, especially when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear any of that. I'm very lukewarm on this trade. I'm tempted to give 
the I'll I'll give the Hawks an A and I'll get no nah, I'll give them a let's give them a B plus we'll give them a B plus but the Clippers I don't think this was a move that they necessarily needed to make and if you were trying to bring in another point guard why wouldn't you make it work for Alonzo Ball yes you'd have to give up more but you would be getting a lot more in return because Lonzo Ball is pretty much Patrick Beverly, but juiced to the gills, right? What's Patrick Beverly? An elite defender. What's Lonzo Ball? I don't want to say he's an elite defender, but he's a very good defender. And he's got size, so he can play multiple, multiple positions. But great shooter, fantastic rebounder, fantastic playmaker. I said enough good things about Lonzo Ball, Lonzo, Lonzo Ball, over the last couple of weeks. Like I, f- I feel like if you were just were looking for a point guard, why wouldn't you make it work for a higher quality, a higher quality player? I just, I can't really, I can't really wrap my mind around this. Um, I'm actually because I'm getting real tired of talking and my throat's starting to hurt. Weirdly enough, um, the Pelicans traded. J.J. Redick and Nicolo Melli to Dallas for James Johnson, Wes Wundu, and a second-round pick. I like this trade a lot for Dallas because they get a three-point, they get two three-point shooters. Actually, I think J.J. Redick is going to be just fine. Um, Dallas's defense is still a problem, and I'm, I think like they're looking, they're taking it from the Brooklyn Nets approach, where your offense can be just super amazing, and your defense is kind of irrelevant. At that point, because if you're putting up enough points, who's going to stop you? And I mean, you know, the Mavericks get a lights out shooter, ranks 16th in the NBA in three point shooting. So obviously, tremendous win by bringing in JJ Redick. And they did it by trading a bunch of guys who just, you know, all I'm going to say is that JJ Redick is more impactful than James Johnson and Wes Owundu were. So, Shout out to Dallas on that deal. And I think the final trade, oh, there are actually two trades, one of which I should have talked about first because it was the first deal that went down, but that was Norman Powell going to the Blazers for Gary Trent and Rodney Hood. And I think of all the trades that went down on Thursday, this was the most well-balanced. Portland gets Powell, who is pretty much the combination of Gary Trent and Rodney Hood having a career year, shooting the lights out, scoring a ton. And he's just a slight upgrade over Gary Trent. And I think that Gary Trent is going to be fine in Toronto. Same deal with Rodney Hood. You know, wasn't really playing that much. I think, I feel like Rodney Hood is hurt, but I also feel like I shouldn't feel that way. So let me just double check that because I don't want to look silly. No, he's not hurt, just not putting up a lot of numbers. But Gary Trent was a quality get for the Raptors. Um, Yeah, that was definitely a super even trade for both teams. Again, probably the most even trade that went down all of all of Thursday. And the last big notable deal, I know JaVale McGee got traded yesterday, as well as um Daniel Tyson, Mo Harkless, and a couple other guys. But the last trade that really a contender made was George Hill going to the Sixers. Sixers received George Hill and Iggy Brazakis from the Knicks. They sent 
Who'd they send? I think they sent Tony Bradley to OKC. And then OKC also got Austin Rivers and the Knicks got Terrence Ferguson. I'm just, you know, George Hill, quality player. I think definitely more of a locker room thing at this point. And also, you know, him wanting the chance to play for a title because obviously with the Thunder, that's sure as shit not happening. But like when you look at the Sixers, just point guard breakdown, they've got a decent group of guys. They got Ben Simmons, of course. They got Seth Curry. They got Shake Milton. I mean, really, there was no need to bring in George Hill, but to have him as, you know, just an older presence for a team that's, you know, relatively young, it makes sense in that regard. And, you know, George Hill can also still get a bucket every now and then. So I think that is a positive move for the Sixers. Really didn't part with anybody who, you know, was a huge part of their rotation. And with that, I think that's pretty much everything. Did a solid 45 minutes on all of the trade deadline stuff. Um, yeah, I think just uh, my closing thoughts. I don't know, but this this day, this trade day, trade deadline day, trade day, dead day, trade line day, deader, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. It was crazy, but it didn't really feel that crazy. And I'm trying to put a finger on why it felt that way. I'm guessing maybe just because, like, I feel a lot of the deals were spread out. Like, there was no point in the day where it was just an influx of trades happening. I could definitely be off on that, but that was really, that's at least what I perceived. Like, not a lot of stuff went down at once. It was very, very spread out. And there also weren't, like, a lot of rumors being tossed around. Like, it felt every time that Woja Shams tweeted somebody had been traded. There were only a couple instances where it was like, oh, you know, so-and-so is, you know, gaining traction within, heading to this fucking organization or whatever. It just didn't feel, it didn't feel that way. But again, I might just be feeling the wrong thing. I might have just, you know, been living that day on 0.5 speed, not being able to process anything that quick. But I mean, yeah, again, uh, I don't know where to take it from here. Hard to say who won the trade deadline. I'm tempted to say Orlando, just because they offloaded all of those guys for a decent group of they for a decent group of cats, which I can definitely respect. Um, definitely the Blazers had a decent day. Uh, biggest loser, Nikola Vucevic. Unfortunately, uh, I just want this. I just want that man to go to a good team that is going to contend for a deep playoff run, and I will be happy. And if that doesn't fucking happen by the time he retires, someone better pick him up in his last fucking season and win him a goddamn title. All right? And with that, I'm going to close it. I'm going to end this episode. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If you want to support the show, all of the ways to do so are linked down in the description. And just know that I'm super appreciative of however you choose to support the show, whether it's just listening, telling a friend, leaving a rating or review on iTunes, following the show, following me, doing whatever you got to do. Again, it's much appreciated, and I will see you guys back on Wednesday.